Well, hey, it is so good to be with you this morning. Um, just so glad you're all here. For those of you that regularly attend, for those of you that are visiting or some people are just coming back or bringing around, we are so glad you're here in person, online. So um, just praise God. Uh, I want to welcome you today. My name is Ryan Snow. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And I want to give a big shout out to the people who did the workday last week, the people who mowed this week, people that clean. Um, it just takes a lot to make a church go. So we have so many people that serve that aren't just volunteers. We see people around here not as volunteers. We see, we see you as partners in ministry with us. So we just thank you for um, all the effort. That everyone, yeah, let's hear it for them. <clears throat> yeah. Jesus, I just thank you for this church. I thank you for you. I thank you for um, the dead coming back to life, that you've done it. Um, you've done it. You did it. You're doing it in people's lives. You're, you've done it in this church, Lord, that you just keep doing it. And I, and I pray today that we would open our ears to your word, open our hearts to your spirit, Lord, and just open our minds to what you want us to know. In your name we pray, Father, amen. So this is the day each year that uh, the most people gather around church. People come to church in droves on um, Easter Sunday to celebrate something, as Marco said, 1,993 years ago, give or take, uh, and today, what I want to talk about is a gospel. I want to talk about uh, Luke's gospel. And Luke's gospel gives one of the, one of the most uh, dramatic and famous accounts of the resurrection story. Part of what makes it such an enjoyable read, Luke's telling of the story, is Luke, like a lot of times, we don't know as much about the perspective of what was going on as the people in the story actually did. But as we're going to read this portion today in Luke 24, we actually know more about the story than these guys did on the walk to Emmaus. And what the Brits would describe the story as cheeky. Like, yeah, baby. Like they would talk about it as cheeky, baby, because it pokes fun boldly at the doubting of these fellows of the resurrection. Everyone in this story plays a part, and with everyone, there's some um, excitement, some dis, uh, dismay, unbelief about it, and it's a reversal of such emotion that really shows us, you know, almost 2,000 years later, the, just, uh, just the magnitude of this story, and hopefully you're as imp impacted as much today at, at the retelling of this as these fellows were on this road all those years ago. So the meeting is the walk to Emmaus. So we're just going to jump straight into the text. That day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the, village, to the village of Emmaus, seven miles. This is about a two to three hour walk, give or take. It's about seven miles would take you two to three hours, depending on the pace, the slope, and all that stuff. It was a two hour walk from the holy city, Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. <clears throat> he asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walked along? They stopped short. Sadness was written across their faces. One of them, Cleopas, said, does anyone ever wish that their name was Cleopas? Um, <laughs> said, you must be the only person in all of Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things 
that have happened there the last few days. So these guys were in there in the city celebrating the Passover, and they were expecting this great Messiah on this Passover, what was to be the final Passover of sacrifice. They were expecting a different outcome. And I think these guys asking, are you the only one that hasn't heard? This would be kind of tantamount to Pearl Harbor back in December of 1941 or the weeks after 9-11 in 2001 if someone's walking around all high giving fives. I'd be like, what's everyone so sad about? I'd be like, bro, didn't you know they bombed one of our states? Or didn't you know they flew into a building The mass carnage, like, are you just oblivious? Were you just born? That's what these guys, this, um, like, this incredulous uh, response to, are you the only one who doesn't know? Like, bro, how could you not know these things? In, In this story, we see what almost, from our vantage point, looks to be like Jesus messing around with these fellas. It's worth noting that Jesus didn't uh, reveal himself to any of his main 11 disciples that were left. We see Jesus revealed himself to women, which I think is amazing because they were the first ones that saw him. And actually, like in their society, like a woman couldn't even testify on her own behalf without her husband. So Jesus was changing everything. Jesus was showing himself to people who weren't of the in crowd or weren't even of his inner crowd. These guys, like this dude Cleopas, who's also named Alpheus, was thought to be his uncle, his adopted father Joseph's brother. So Jesus is going in the margins and the fringes and revealing himself to the least expected of customers. And we see in Mark 16 that Jesus appears in some other form to these people. Like, Jesus at this point in time is fully God. Jesus at this point in time, now, now we say he was fully God, fully man, up until like the point of the cross. At this point in time, he's fully God. Like, Jesus is starting to do things that we'll see something else in the story. Like, Jesus just starts doing things that normal people can't do. He was doing some of those before, but now it becomes par for the course in the last couple chapters of the Gospels. It says that these things happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher, mighty in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other uh, religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. They said we had hoped he was the Messiah to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Few observations here. One is these guys are giving vent to their grief. Maybe you're in a place today, you're grieving, maybe some loss, some pain, some terrible dejection, some ruin of reputation, some loss of something. Um, I think it's important that we grieve together. These guys didn't just hold it in. They didn't just fake it till they made it. And a lot of us suffer alone way too much when um, God, I think, wants to visit us in our grief. And a lot of times he does that by the people he puts around us. I think, I think joint, joint mourners can be mutual comforters. And so these guys are deeply saddened. 
I mean, this was bigger than like, like I remember the sadness I felt on February 13th, 2022. What happened that day? That was so sad in this city. Bengals lost the Super Bowl. <laughs> Like, I remember I was barely Christian that night. <laughs> there was a couch up there, and I set my foot on it. I was going to kick the couch over in church. Like, I know I was going to have righteous anger, like Jesus with the money changers. But it was all because of the bad call on Logan Wilson. But, like, I remember, like, the next couple days, I just wanted to, um, I wanted to go into a hole and just, like, seclude myself. I wouldn't turn on Bleacher Report. Bengals.com. I wouldn't throw on anything. I was so mad. And it wasn't until later that I started to process the grief <laughs> that it left me. Um, but, it, like, because, like, you know, it's a, just like celebrating together. It's important to also grieve together. And where have you been expectant of something from God or elsewhere in life that things didn't pan out as they succeed, at, like, where things didn't succeed as maybe you'd hoped. Because we see these guys, they were, in, they were in Jerusalem and now they're turning away. It's like, we're, we're out of here. Like, I'm out like a fat kid in dodgeball. We're gone. And they leave. And we'll see more of this later because there's a reversal in this story. Things didn't pan out. And they said, now the third is the third day. Where does God feel late in your life? Because by the third day, a body starts to stink and rot and decay. Where does God feel late in your life? And I'll tell you, God in your life is rarely early, never late, but he's always on time. And we see Jesus in this story, and maybe in ours, showing up not on our time and schedule, but in his kairos time. See, we live in this chronos, this chronological line. And a lot of times we think by, you know, April 9th, this will happen. Or by July 4th, this will happen. And we live in such a line. And Kairos time in the Bible is God's time. And God's time is not our time. God's way is not our way. Then some of the women from his group of followers were at the tomb early in the morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and that they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to sea and sure enough, his body was gone just as the women had said. See, even for those that have heard, there was tempered excitement and an element of doubt. They're like, he's raised, we think, but he's not there. Where in your life do you kind of live with like, oh, Jesus came, but I'm not so sure. Jesus rose, or I gave my life to him, but I'm not so sure this is the only path. I'm not so sure this is going to work out. Where have you been walking in your life and feeling alone, confused, afraid, angry? or maybe flat out uh, remiss of the presence of God in your situation. Saying, God, are you late? God, do you not care? God, don't you see me? Are you the only one who doesn't know what I've gone through, Jesus? 
Anyone ever feel like that? Maybe you walked in here today and you're feeling like, are you unaware of what I'm suffering, God? Did you not see what they did to me? Did you not see what I've lost? Why didn't you show up <clears throat> when that person died? Or why, wh what about my health? What about my finances? Then Jesus said to them, <clears throat> you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe. All the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering into his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. <clears throat> Jesus calling them foolish sounds a little harsh, especially the time they were having. And I think he calls them foolish because fools by definition work and act against their own best interest. These guys doubted their friends and they doubted the word of God. And we do the same when we doubt, when we try to solve equations of lives, of our lives ourselves. See, what we see here is Jesus is the best expositor of scripture. Some of us come at the Bible from all kinds of way. We come from the Apocrypha, we come from like the Upanishads, the Vedas, we come at it from CNN, we come at it from Judaism, we come at it from from the Book of Mormon, myriad ways we come at it, but Jesus Christ is who God's always been. If you want to know how to look at the Bible, look at Jesus first. Don't start in Genesis. Don't start in the Psalms. Don't start like, in even like one of the Pauline epistles. Don't start, please don't start in the book of Revelation. It'll confuse you and fry your brain. <laughs> start with Jesus. He started, he took them through what all, the, what all the prophets and all the histories said about himself. Jesus is saying, look at me. Look at me. And Jesus isn't some guy who's desperate uh, like for attention, who's some YouTuber or social influencer who just wants everyone to see him. Like, hey guys, like, I'm awesome. No, Jesus appeared to two randos on the road. Jesus, but Jesus is saying, look at me. Wherever you are, look at me. Are you trying to figure out life's meaning or purpose or spirituality in some other way than looking at Jesus? I wonder sometimes if Jesus looks at us and wonders why we are not getting it or trusting him, and he would say, you foolish people. And I know that sounds hard. I mean, he, but he says it to the people, and there's something about it that a fool works against their own best interest. Where are you working against your own best interest in your life? Because anyone ever, I know we like to blame the devil for, for stuff, but man, uh, like one of my mentors said a long time ago, I have met the enemy and I as him. My own doubt my own struggle, my own proclivity towards things that are like just dishonoring to myself and other people, the insanity that I return to time and time again of ridiculous habits that go nowhere but make the hole deeper. Where would Jesus say, you foolish people, why don't you believe? Look to me. I look back at long periods of my life and I see where I doubted and resented God 
because I thought he was the only one who didn't know. Or maybe I was the only one that knew, and I wish he knew too. By this time, they were nearing the village of Emmaus and the end of their journey. And Jesus acted as if he was going on, but they begged him to stay. Stay the night, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them, and they sat down to eat. He took the bread and blessed it. He broke it and gave it to them. I think one of the funny things about this story, I think Jesus wanted to stay with them all along. I think that was his intention. And I think sometimes Jesus is walking with us in our lives, and he's just waiting for an invitation. Say, stay longer. Stay longer. Walk with me. Sit down with me. I think he's often awaiting the same invitation to reveal himself to us. And I love how Jesus um, just broke broke the bread and he blessed it. And it says, suddenly their eyes were open and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. I love how Jesus, with these two, like I said, these two randos, they recognized the dude by how he broke bread. So whether it was the feeding of the 5,000 or whether it was the Last Supper or with these guys, Jesus was the same all the time. Look at me. And when they looked at Jesus finally, maybe they couldn't even make eye contact with this guy because like I said, they thought he was so ridiculous that he was the only one I hadn't heard. And as they finally stopped and looked at him and he broke the bread, they recognized him. And it says in that moment, he disappeared. This is one of his powers now. He's fully God. He can kind of come and go as he wishes. He could teleport. He could fly. He could do crazy things other people couldn't do. Several, several years ago on Easter, um, my life had just taken a really bad turn. I'd lost a lot of things. I lost a job. My family was in the balance. Uh, reputation. Just a lot of things weren't as I'd hoped. And we'd started going to this wonderful little church um, out on the west side of town in Harrison, Ohio. Uh, my friend Jeff Durler pastors their Lifespring Church. And we're in church during worship, and I'm not thinking about anything. And my family's in church, but I, I didn't know how much longer this was going to go on for us because we, we were at a, a crossroads. And they start singing this elevation song, Resurrecting. The resurrecting king is resurrecting me. And as I'm standing there worshiping, I start having this conversation with Jesus. Are you the only one who doesn't know what I'm going through? Are you here? Do you see me? Do you understand me? Then all of a sudden I get this vision. I'll call it a vision. It was a vision of... um, my life a long time ago, a very long time ago, when I was about two years old. And I start thinking about when I went to foster care. And you guys heard me tell some of the story at different times, but I don't think ever this one. I, that was a very painful time for me, a very hard time. A lot of bad things in my life happened when I was in foster care. Praise God for good foster parents. If you're a foster and adoptive parent, bless you. Yeah, Because I didn't have that experience. I had the ones that no one should get. 
um, just terrible things. And I remember just standing there just thinking, and for some reason, my, my mind, I was like, Jesus, were you? And I was mad at my mom and my dad because they kind of willfully put us in there. But as I'm just standing there, I, I see this vision of, of this kitchen. And it was replete with dark wood and like a green fridge. So, you know, like back in the 70s. And it was my grandparents' kitchen. And as I'm sitting there, I see, somehow I see my sister sitting on the bench, my dad holding my brother, and my mom's holding me. It was very vivid. And how we were positioned in the room, um, I could see it. And I'd been very mad at my parents for like, why would they do this? I know a lot of people just get their kids taken from them and go to foster care. Why would my parents willfully let this happen? But as I'm there, I feel my mom holding me and she's like shaking and sobbing and crying. My mom was a very young mom, had a lot of kids at a very young age. And my dad's parents were just convincing them that this was the best thing for them to work on their marriage and some other problems that they had. But like as my mom is um, just clutching me and crying, I literally see with like my two-year-old eyes, I see in between my grandparents, I see Jesus just weeping. And at that point in time, um, something in me changed. He wasn't the only one who didn't see me. He's like, in fact, I was there before you even knew me. And though that might not be comforting, because like, well, why would you be there and not stop it? I think sometimes there's things in our lives that we, we get such a short view. We have such a, um, an anti-view of suffering. That we have this gospel of the good person or our best life now garbage that we believe. And, and we think that there could be nothing good that could come out of the suffering and the trials and the disasters in our lives. And I had this short-sighted, myopic view of my life that somehow God was missing and that was just all for naught and I was just subjected to needless torture. I felt great loss and all alone and I never could really share that with anyone in my life. And I was at a tipping point because I'd hoped I would have this cherry balance of my own and now it was all kind of ebbing away. And the narrative felt similar to my Jewish brothers on the road. It felt close, but no cigar. And I just sensed that Jesus said, I was with you, I wept over you, and what was about to unfold in your, in your young life, but I had a plan in it. So I don't know God causes or else allows. I'm not gonna get into that. That's maybe for, for another day, another time. But I do see that um, he, he sees us in our suffering. He sees us in our struggle. And it's not empty, it's not vain. Um, an author I've really come, come to love, Nick Ripkin, says this in his book, The Insanity of God. He said, 
if we spend so much of our lives avoiding crucifixion, then we may completely miss out on the resurrection life and power of Jesus. I think a lot of us spend so much time avoiding the crucifixion or trying to diagnose the crucifixion or avoid pain in our life that we, we miss out on the beauty that comes from suffering with God. Because it says if we die with him, we will live with him. If we suffer with him, he'll raise us. And he does this thing. And I think that I want you to know Jesus sees you in your suffering. And it might seem like, why didn't you come early? Or why are you late? But I'll tell you what, he'll come at the right time in your life. And it's just, will we orient our eyes to be able to see him? See, these guys had seen him before. And they were able to see him again in a silly thing like when he broke, when he broke the bread. Another fantastic uh, author of antiquity, Thomas Akempis, wrote in his timeless work, The Imitation of Christ. Read that book. Listen to that book. If we seek Jesus in all things, we will surely find him. When Jesus says a single word, it brings peace within. Happy is the hour when Jesus calls one from tears to the joy of the spirit. A lot of times we'll never know anything of joy if we don't know anything of sorrow. And I think that it's really important to see if we are willing, if we're open, open and if we're available, Jesus will reveal himself to us. As we talked about that time, that Kronos time, Jesus in the Kairos time, in the right time, wants to show us things that would otherwise blow by us if we wouldn't stop and listen. Anyone take physics in high school or college? When I was in 11th grade, I took physics class. Um, physics class, Marymount High School, Mrs. Parazzi would used to show us, and I used to love it on Fridays, the videos of this guy, Julius Sumner Miller. Anyone know Julius Sumner Miller? This crazy guy, and he would always end, he goes, Julius Sumter Miller is my name, and physics is my business. <laughs> and he would do some crazy thing, like put water in a bucket and spin it around, no water come out, showing you some trick centripetal force and these kind of things and just kind of this crazy wild guy but it was such, it brought physics to life for me. I hated the class. I love those videos. <laughs> and I think what, what Jesus would say is Jesus Christ is my name and Kairos is my business. At the right time, not always on Friday, but he'll say to us like this is my business. Let me have your life. Let me have this mess. Let me have that pain, let me have that thing that's too heavy, that thing that's too confusing, this thing that is too inoculating, disturbing, whatever. He says, let me have it and watch what I do. Because I believe Jesus is in the business of that he doesn't want us to miss out on the change that he brought, the change potential, I think awaits some of us if we'll turn to him in our suffering or not just wait for him to show back up before we tune in again. We may need to see blessing differently. And I'm able to look at that time in my life and some of the hardship in my life and the pain of my life and I'm able to see that um, he was working something in me behind the scenes that wasn't usual. That he has this unbelievable way of picking the ones no one else wants. 
or picking the garbage people set out that's unreclaimed, unsalvageable, and he does something with it. Now, I'm not saying my life is the greatest portrait, but I'm saying, like, if Jesus can resurrect my life, he can resurrect yours. And I love what the disciples said in verse 32. Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures? I think looking back at the lonely roads of our life, if we'll let him and we'll trust him and we'll lean in, we could see that there was something in our heart that maybe there was a little ember that flickered that could, that could rejuvenate something again and change a heart of stone, a cold heart, to a heart of flesh, to one that burns, to one that feels, the one that understands that Ezekiel 37, like I'll give you a new heart. I'll give you a new perspective. I'll give you new eyes. I'll give you new ears. I'll give you new mind. I'll make sense of this. If you not only just keep walking with me, but if you invite me in. Invite me to hang out for dinner, to stay the night with you. Invite me to your morning. Invite me into your mess. Where is God burning in your heart today? Where's something maybe I've said or a song that was sang or whatever. Where's your heart burning today? These guys shared what was going on and they didn't know it was Jesus. And then at the right time, he shows up and then poof, he's gone again. Was it a cruel joke? No, it was the exact medicine they needed. Don't demand God shows up on your time or the way he showed up for someone else. Because these other disciples who were closer to him didn't get this same experience on the road. They didn't. But Jesus met these guys the right way at the right time. And I think if we are willing, open, and available, Jesus will reveal himself to us in amazing times and places. Because Kairos is his business. Intersecting our time with his time. Is um, that's what he does. And my friend Clyde Eisler, who goes here, said the other day on prayer, and um, Clyde's had open heart surgery yesterday. So if you think about on Friday, pray for Clyde. Clyde says, So many times I don't expect a visit, so I am, I am not ready to observe him when he comes. These guys weren't ready for the visit. Are you ready for the visit? Because I believe Jesus wants to visit you. I believe Jesus loves you. And it says within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. They were getting the heck out of Dodge. And they're turning back now. And they had to go share it. As Jesus meets you today, go share it. If Jesus met you today, come share it with us and we'll pray for you. Don't do this alone. You're not alone. Whatever grief you're carrying, shame you're carrying, confusions, questions, don't don't just keep them inside. Don't stuff them down. Jesus has answers. But just like he wants to visit us, a lot of times he visits us with other people. He visits us with other people. Do you share with other people what God's doing or what God's done? And listen, we don't have to be perfect examples We just need to be living ones. That we're Jesus, we're walking down the road in defeat, 
turning away, that he intersects our story, and then we turn back and go face it. Where have you been foolish or ignorant of God speaking all along? Because that day for me on Easter, all those years ago, I became very ignorant, and I felt like you foolish of heart. I was with you all along, Ryan. I was with you long ago. I was with your parents long ago. I was with everyone alive long ago. Before you you were born, I knew you. Jesus reveals himself in our sorrows. He can also reveal himself to us in our joys. So you were given this little thing, this little vial with a match in it. And it says, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us? Take this as a reminder today. And maybe you're like, my heart doesn't burn anywhere. Maybe it's time for the question, oh foolish of heart, oh weak of heart, oh faint of heart, oh unbelieving, what will it take for you to believe? Because I believe he wants to reveal himself to you today. Just like he did me all those years ago. God God can, he's willing, and he's able. He wants to meet you. So if you want prayer today, maybe you don't know Jesus back to Jesus, or maybe life's just really hard, maybe you're sick, I don't know, uh, like specifically I was praying this morning, is there a woman in here who's having a hard time getting pregnant or staying pregnant, love to pray for you today, or I also got a sense, is there someone who's in a deal that looks like it's about to go belly up and you're worried about what that would do to your future, I want to pray for you today, if you need anything, we want to pray for you.